Welcome to Short Course, episode 73, for October 17th, 2020. I'm your host, Ben Barry. Last week on the podcast, I say last week, it was uh, only about four or five days ago, but that's how things are going now. Um, I've got things to say before Nationals rolls around, and I I wanted to get this out and and get this covered, because I think what I'm going to talk about here has some implications for Nationals, and in particular, the ways that I think Nationals comes up short and not does not necessarily represent what it should be, which is the best match of the year. By all rights, nationals should be the best that practical shooting can offer in this country, uh, and it isn't. And so I'm going to talk about some things that I think we do right here at uh, at the state level. Now, not all of these will apply to nationals, but some of them definitely will. So here in North Carolina, as is, I think, fairly typical in, in states across the country, they the staff and the the folks responsible for the the state match have changed over the years. The last so three years ago, uh, well, I guess two two years ago, three matches ago, in 2018, the match ended up being canceled basically the a couple of days before it was it was due to start, largely because there was at the time a, a class four hurricane that looked like it was going to come straight up the middle of the state and and come right over the range. Where the, uh, where the match was going to be held. Now, as it happened, the hurricane ended up not coming straight at us, but they still made the right call of canceling the match at the time. As it happened, it looked, the, the cancellation basically drew out what was rampant mismanagement. And so the section coordinator and the match director stepped away and there was an opening left for a new section coordinator. And into that breach, my wife, Stephanie Berry, put, it, put forth her name and ended up leading the the section back to being able to give refunds to most of the folks that had paid for that match. That was previously said to, to not be possible. She was able to figure that out. And that match that year was a much smaller scaled down affair that was rescheduled and, and run by run by a local club. And then last year she was involved with running the match at the Sir Walter Gun Club mat uh, range just up the road from here. And then this past year, it was at a different club, but she was uh, sort of the the common element. So there were a lot of lessons learned from last year or experiments tried last year that were carried forward this year. One of those that I think was was successful last year and this year is the, the format of the weekend is that setup day was on Thursday, the staff shot all day Friday, and then Saturday was... Was had two sessions, an AM and a PM session, with smaller squads, and they obviously shoot the match in in a half day format, so it's it's much quicker. I think in both cases, last year and this year, it was nine stages in roughly four hours, and then Sunday you had larger squads, but it was an all day format, so you would start a little bit later in the day, and you would have a larger squad, and then your whole squad would just go through, and you'd start say around ten AM, finish around three or four PM. So you had a little bit more time between having to shoot the stages. So you had to shoot less frequently. You had a little bit more downtime. But honestly, some people really love the half-day format, especially for a a level one state match. There are folks that will drive up, you know, the morning of. So they'll sign up to shoot Saturday p.m. They'll drive up, get to the range around 11. They have, you know, an hour or so to check in, registration, see the morning shooters run some of the stages, have the lunch break if if there is one to uh to to inspect stages or you know just in between squads if if there are bays that are open you know we always 
let shooters inspect the stages as long as there's a CRO around, of course. So they come in at 11, they start shooting at one, they're on the road by five or six and they can get home. So it's a, you know, even, even if it's a four or five hour drive, it's doable. You know, it's, it's a lot of time in the car, but, but that's a doable uh, arrangement if folks want to drive and, and do the whole match in one day. Personally, for me as a competitor, if, if I were just shooting the match, I would want to shoot on Sunday. I find having more time between stages, a little bit more downtime to visualize, having, having that extra just room to breathe of having a larger squad, a few more people on the squad, that that would be my preference. But one of the things that I think is is good about this format is people can choose. People can can figure out which, you know, which option do they want? Do they want to just get it over and done with? Do they want to drive in Friday night, look at the stages after the after the staff have shot, shoot Saturday morning and then be on the road and be home by dinner time? You've you've got various configurations that that you can make work. Now, you like I said, as much as possible, we like to give shooters as as competitors, we like to give them a fair chance to look at the stages ahead of time. So part of that is having the the stages available in the matchbook a week or two ahead of time, you know, not super far ahead, but enough that people can kind of get a general sense of, of what they're going to going to be looking at. But then also, you know, both Friday evening after the staff finish and then Saturday after the, the Saturday squads compete, if if competitors want to look around, have that. You know, this is a match that rewards people who invest more in it. Now that said, I think it's fair to say that both last year and this year, none of the stages required more than the five minute walkthrough. And I think that that is that is the way that it should be. I think you you should not design a stage that requires more than five minutes to look through. Now, are there going to be stages where a someone of a higher level of skill can look through it and the more they walk it, the more little details and nuances they see? Absolutely. That said, the better you get, the quicker you recognize those nuances. So it may be that a stage with various interesting choices and target engagement orders and do you come in and shoot this guy on the way in or do you take this other guy on the way in and take him on the way out? All of those choices to a high-level shooter quite possibly can be made in, in a five-minute walkthrough. So this is something that obviously in the U.S. we we have a culture of allowing shooters to show up the day before the match. Now, this is not the way that it is in Ipsic. Overseas, the culture is you're not allowed to inspect the stages until it is your squad's time to look at it and shoot it. And I think that has the effect of just completely removing an entire class of obtuse memory stage that is not possible to figure out a stage plan for in five minutes with the rest of your squad, eight, 10 people, all in the shooting area. You know, there are some stages where the shooting area is big enough that you're not bumping into people, but a lot of these, especially these smaller memory stages that, that we tend to see, everybody's tripping over each other, especially if it's one of these where you can start on either side and, you know, some people are going right to left, some people are going left to right. There there was a stage at the South Carolina section match this year that was that was like that. It was, I don't know, I believe it was starting anywhere outside the shooting area, but basically everybody either started all the way to the left and went left to right or started all the way to the right and went right to left. And it was a 32 round stage. I spent probably at least 30 minutes before the match. And then the five minute walkthrough, just trying to refresh my mind. And even so I, I don't, I did not execute that stage particularly well. And it just, it, it was not, it was not a good stage. And so if that kind of stage is just removed from, from competition 
permanently, that's that's fine with me. And I think one of the standards, one of the sort of mental rules that match directors and stage designers can use to keep themselves honest about that kind of thing is saying, could a B-class shooter walk up and with a five-minute walkthrough have a reasonable stage plan on this stage? If the answer is no, then it needs to be changed or simplified somehow. Now, that doesn't mean it needs to be made easier. You don't need to make the target simpler. But if you can help to either provide some visual landmarks break up the targets a little bit just give a little a little bit of reference okay there's a wall here so there's three targets to the left of the wall three targets to the right of the wall maybe you throw up some hard cover so you can tell whether you're seeing the the same target twice or if it's a different target you, you can add these little things that make stages more comprehensible and easy to plan without making the stages necessarily easier but a a good stage especially at a level two or above level should not require more than a five minute walkthrough and I'll, I'll get more to more into that um, later, but I I also am a, an absolutist about five minute walkthroughs. Anything shorter is complete false economy. It's bad for the shooters. It's bad for the staff. It it should not exist. As far as I'm concerned, for for a level two where you're driving from far away, you're paying more than a regular club match fee. Five minutes is 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 what it should be. All right, so we've covered registering, picking your time slot and then showing up and being able to look at stages. Something else that the NC section does has done differently the past two years that I think is good and, and worth emulating and has worked out well is when you register, when you check in. In a lot of matches, uh, check-in is largely a formality, especially in these days where the matchbook is usually a PDF that's sent out online. Um, potentially, you, you may not even need it. And what's i think fairly common at level two you know non non-nationals type matches matches where there is no prize table at the end by order of finish but a a prize table that's random draw typically that's what you're going to actually need to to go to registration quote unquote for is to say yes i'm actually physically here i'm i'm here to shoot check to make sure that your division classification is all correct and then they say okay you won prize x and then they hand it to you and Whatever it was, whatever the prize is, whatever was donated by the sponsor, you're the only person that sees it. You're the only person that knows it was there. Aside from whatever advertising in the matchbook, whatever banners that the sponsor gets, the actual advertising of the prizes themselves is basically zero. And I think in a lot of cases, this is why we tend to see prizes donated to matches that aren't particularly useful or, or aren't particularly uh you know, put put the brand of the of the sponsor forward. It's just a way for them to give product so that they meet the monetary requirements to to buy the sponsorship, so to speak. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, whatever thing that you randomly draw, you very likely have no use for. Classic example, a couple of years ago at the North Carolina State match, I believe this would have been 2017. I shoot tanfolios I have for four years now. I won a tanfolio magwell limited magwell i don't shoot limited i shoot 10 folios but i don't shoot limited i had no use for a, for a limited magwell um, i ended up trading it actually stephanie ended up trading it for a, a blue bullets gift certificate everybody was happy you know i do use blue bullets but those kinds of gifts that are universally useful are, are pretty few and far between and not to bag on the uh, the south carolina match again this is Par for the course, this isn't really their fault. They're, they're just doing, I think, what is industry standard with, with level two matches. But this year I checked in and I got a steel target stand, a little H target stand, put one by twos in it, and it'll hold your targets. Problem is, 
already have target stands. I already have metal target stands that I take to practice. They nest with each other. They're smaller. They're more compact. And this one was bigger. It didn't fit with those and I didn't need it. And so I actually just ended up donating it to the gun club because I, you know, easy come, easy go. I didn't pay anything for it, but, but it was of no value to me. I'm sure there was somebody of the 200 people that shot that match. I'm sure there was somebody who could have used that, that, that was building a home range or needed one more target stand for practice. They, there's somebody to whom that target stand would have been valuable, but it wasn't me. And so the different approach that the North Carolina section match has taken last year and this year is having a prize table that you walk in order of registration, actually. So at you know something like the Nationals, you walk the prize table in order of finish. And so the, the, the person who does the best gets their, their pick of the prize. And obviously with a match, you know, with a schedule, like we just talked about where some people are shooting Saturday morning, some shooting Saturday PM and some are shooting Sunday. Most of the folks who shoot Saturday, I dare say all aren't going to be there on Sunday when the match is over. So you can't walk the prize table in, in order of finish, but that doesn't mean you can't walk the prize table. And so the way that it was done last year and this year is the prizes are sorted into groups and they're they're basically divvied up equally by shooting session and then they're put out on our prize table. And when you show up to check in for your session, you don't just get to you know show up Thursday morning or whatever and start walking the prize table. But when you show up to register for the for the session that, that you're that's actually about to start, you're, you're checking in, you get to walk the prize table. And yeah, if you if you're there first, if you get there earliest, you will have the best selection. Now there may be some high dollar prizes, but they may be prizes that you don't necessarily have any use for. You know, so for example, last year and this year, there were a number of LA police gear range bags on the on the prize table, both kind of backpack style and over the shoulder style. And for the folks that were able to get one and you know, for whatever reason, had a range bag that they weren't happy with, and they were able to pick one of those up, then then they were really stoked. That was one of the more valuable prizes, just in terms of dollar value, that that was on the uh, on the, the the prize table. But it, not everybody needs a new range bag. Some people have fancy ones. Some people have not so fancy ones that they're perfectly happy with. And so there is a there is a slight advantage to showing up early. But is that any less fair than pure random draw? Probably not. And in the case of things, you know, I mean, in any batch of gear, you're always going to get something that's pink or purple or, you know, some kind of maroon shade that nobody really wants. And do you, you know, do you, if it's pink, like, do you look at the list of shooters and randomly assign it to someone with a, who's signed up as female? Um, or in this case, you just put it out and whoever wants to take the pink bag, maybe it's a dad who's getting it for his daughter who doesn't shoot USPSA, but he wants to get her into, you know, coming to the range and just plinking around some more. Who knows? But the the beauty of this is nobody ends up with a prize they don't want. And the sponsors get publicity, even from the people who don't necessarily pick up their product. So a great example was last year, there were a number of engraved laser engraved mugs and gift cards from a, a service just down the road called Zoo City Armory. And I, I think they do ammo reloading, but they also do laser engraving. So you can send them their your gun and they'll laser engrave it or, or something or other. I, I don't exactly know. But <laughs> what the upshot of it is they had a bunch of gift cards on the table and a bunch of people saw those gift cards. And even if they didn't pick them, they they looked at them and said, hmm, who is this? They they started to see that the, that 
Zoo City Armory supported the match. And so as a sponsor, the, the fact that more people get to see your contribution and you're, you're actually incentivized to send gear that in some way conveys your brand instead of just, oh, you know, here's a bunch of gear that we had laying around or here's, you know, a bunch of a bunch of miscellaneous stuff. You know, if it's actually whether you're, you know, if you're a powder manufacturer, you send packages of your powder or, you know, what have you. The, 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 the benefit is it, that you actually get some brand awareness. People get to see your prize, even if they aren't the ones who actually want it. And so it's a win for the competitors because they can actually pick the thing that's most useful to them. It's a win for the match because it incentivizes folks to show up your registration early instead of sliding in, you know, just before it closes. And it's a win for the sponsors because they get more publicity. They get more more than just the person that wins the prize gets to get some exposure to the brand. And so I I I don't I I want to see all matches go to this system i think it's i think it's at least better than the you know random assignment of hey you checked in here's the target stand you don't want i i I think it's a great idea it's worked out well so far the one um the one modification that that we did make this year was the prizes were stratified into into two groups so one thing that was that, that we did notice last year is there were certain prizes that were noticeably more valuable and they just immediately went first. So if you if you checked in and there was a you know the first person to check in who saw a set of hunters HD golds on the prize table, they were going to take it because either they could use it or they figured they could sell it because that's a that's a multi hundred dollar prize. Now that's the way hunters rolls when they sponsor matches. They send product. All things being equal, from the matches perspective, it would probably be better if there were you know four hundred dollar gift certificates instead of one four hundred dollar item, but. That's, you know, that that's the way Hunters does it. And as a match director, to a certain degree, you're 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 making soup with the the uh, the, the the prizes you're sent. So that is what it is. Not much you could do about it. But this year, the the one modification was separating the, the prize tables into they, there was some cutoff, I think like seventy five dollars or so. And there was sort of the A prize table and the, the B prize table. And randomly you were assigned to one or the other. And so the the one thing that this did is it it, it it sort of hybridized the early bird gets the worm uh, aspect of last year's, you know, just pure free for all prize table with the random selection aspect of a, of a traditional matches way of, of distributing prizes. So if you walked up to registration and you got to pick from the higher dollar prize table, then you know, good for you. You got to pick maybe it was a range bag or maybe it was, you know, something slightly nicer. But on the other hand, if you even if you went to the other prize table, there were still pounds of powder. There were still $50 Blue Bullets gift certificates. There were still shirts and hats and, and mugs and that sort of thing. So, you know, you could still pick the thing that you wanted because even with something like that, you know, some people have enough shirts. Some people can't get enough. Some people love having another, you know, shirt to paint in or do yard work in or whatever some people you know collect hats and so even even among the the lower tier prize table there was still this element of nobody walked away with a prize that they couldn't use and so uh that that was i think a a a good call i think that was an improvement it sort of hybridized like i said the 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 two the aspects of the two systems so there is still a, a bit of a luck element whether you get the the higher the low prize but you still get to walk the prize table evaluate your options and, and pick the one thing that you actually think will actually be valuable to you so i'd like to see that spread i'd like to see that at, at more matches so you're checked in you've gone to registration it's time to start shooting and 
there are a couple of things that the this match did. I mentioned it earlier, but I'll mention it here again because I think it 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 is worth emphasizing as a competitor the value of five minute walkthroughs. So again, if you didn't get a chance, if you got a flat tire on the on the way to the range or whatever, and you just you barely made it in time to start shooting, you get a five minute walkthrough and you get time to see the stage. Now, and this is true whether you were shooting in the on the the, the smaller squads on the half day format or in the larger squads on the on the full day format. You know, if you if you actually wanted to make the most of a five minute walkthrough, then shooting on the smaller squad is obviously going to be better. You have fewer people you're you're jockeying for position in the in the the shooting area with. And in a lot of cases, folks did show up early, and so they've had a chance to look at the stage when no one was on it, and so you may you may be maybe half your squad is even in the shooting area or walking through the stage during the during the five minute walkthrough, but you get your time, and. At the end of the day, this is both good for competitors and and good for the staff because any kind of gains that you think you make as a as a match, I genuinely believe you lose in competitors dragging their feet, taking longer to make ready, taking longer to come to the shooting, come, come to the start position when it's their time to shoot. Take you know if and we'll get to this later. If competitors are pasting you know longer time, dawdling, looking at targets, walking through the shooting area, walking back up range from pasting. It's it's just it's less efficient when you when you cheat shooters out of those two minutes. If you have three minute walkthroughs instead of five, shooters are going to find a way to get it back. And it's it's just such false economy. And it it is you get so much value for the for the competitors that you know when everybody all together can take those extra two minutes, you know, of, of a five minute versus a three minute walkthrough. Those two extra minutes, everybody's looking at the stage, everybody's getting more prepared. And then when it's time to go, when it's time to start running shooters, everybody's had their fill, they've had their chance, nobody's trying to sneak an extra peek. Everybody's had their 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 fair shot at it, and it's it's go time. You know, people understand, get out of the shooting area, you've had your five minutes, you've had your fair shake. Let's go. Let's start running shooters. And this is where we get to what I think is probably the most important, the the most meaningful and impactful thing that the North Carolina section did right. Yeah, all the prize stuff, ta- prize table stuff is nice, and all the half day format stuff is nice. Whatever. The thing that really is the, the the difference maker that I really hope people take away and and appreciate about the match is the way that we run it so that competitors are not having or not allowed, depending on how you look at it, to paste and reset. The staff covers everything. And this sounds dramatic, this sounds radical, but it really is not rocket science. Any any given stage, even a 32-rounder, can be run fairly efficiently with four people. You have a, a timer, someone running the timer, someone running the tablet, and then two people whose only dedicated job after the range is called clear is to, to start doing reset. If it's a shorter stage, if it's 24 rounds, you can probably do it with three people. If it's a you know some kind of short course, it's it's hard to get really below three. Uh, but but if you've got three people per stage, and what you've got is the the person with the the tablet, after everything's scored, they they go up range, they get the they copy the the tablet onto the carbon copy for the shooter, get the shooter to sign it. While that's happening, the RO with the timer turns around from wherever they ended scoring and starts pasting back towards the beginning. And somewhere along the way, they're going to meet up with the third or fourth or fifth person who all have separate jobs within the stage and, and everything's going to be pasted and everybody's going to converge. There's going to be a, con- a, a consistent pattern that you plan out and among the, the staff on the stage that you execute every time. Everybody has a responsibility. In some cases, it'll be 
you know, one of the one of the nice things about steel is it doesn't you don't have to wait for the timer RO to come around to score it to score the hits for consistency. If the steel's down, you can have somebody designated to as soon as the range is called clear, go down range, set the steel and paint it because you don't have to wait for somebody to come around. And so very likely what will happen is they'll go down, they'll set, you know, however many pieces of steel it is, or maybe, you know, if there's steel to the left and steel to the right, somebody, you know, one, one person goes to the left, sets that steel, one person goes to the right, sets that steel. And by the time that's done, it's up and it's painted. There's probably some cardboard targets that have then been scored by the timer and the tablet ROs that can then be pasted. Um, something that is definitely a big help with this, if you're you're trying to run lean, is uh, is a paster gun. Now, I I know in the practice community, paster guns are pretty much seen as a requirement, and I think that's definitely true, especially if you are practicing what, in my opinion, the way you should be, which is running multiple runs back to back. You're shooting four, five, six runs of a drill, and then scoring them in aggregate and pacing them all at once. Obviously, having a paster gun to paste, you know, if it's a if you're shooting each target twice and you're running it six times, then you've got 12 holes in each target. So that's a no-brainer for having a paster gun. I tend to think paster guns aren't worth it as a competitor when I go to a match just because it's something to keep up with where it's just so much easier to keep you know some folded up pasters in, in my pocket. And then whenever I'm at a target, I can paste them there. But my rough mental calculus is that a two, two pasters with paster guns is equivalent to at least three people without in terms of resetting the stage. And so if you are in a situation where you're trying to do what the North Carolina section did and have no have competitors not be basing or resetting, drop 500, 600, 800 bucks, whatever it is, and get a paster gun per stage. And you know maybe it's a, a situation where one person takes the paster gun and they're the person on pasting duty and they follow right behind the tablet and the timer RO. So as soon as the first paper target is scored, they're they're pasting it and honestly with a paster gun you can pretty much keep up with a with an ro who's walking and and scoring targets it's it's about a it's about an even pace if you've got a, a paster gun and so you've got someone with the paster gun you got someone with a can of spray paint and maybe the the person with the spray paint goes and sets the steel and then paints it and then there's one or two targets they can they can paste by hand you know they don't they don't need to be juggling a, a paster gun and a can gun or a paster gun and a, a can of spray paint the can guns, by the way, if you if you have them, are, are quite nice. The little plastic, you know, the thing that snaps on the top to, to make it a little bit easier to uh, to to spray the paint and you know gives it a trigger pull instead of you're using your finger all the time. Which you know those are nice. Keep them in your RO box. I think I've got two or three in 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 my RO kit. But you got someone with the can or the can gun. You got someone with the paster gun. You got someone with the tablet and the timer. You can run a 32 round stage in like that, no problem. And the benefit of that is you actually reset more quickly. So no question, you can get shooters in, you can get shooters through in less time, or alternatively, you can get more shooters through in the same amount of time, which might be one way that you want to look at it because, okay, maybe you do need to recruit more staff because you are having more people stationed on each stage because you're not just having a tablet and a timer RO, you know, sort of monitoring the competitors doing the paste and reset, but you actually have you know, depending on the size of the stage, three to five people per per stage. But if you can get more shooters through, get more paid shooters, you can actually afford to cover the expenses. And we'll get to the staff package in a bit, but you can afford to cover the expenses of more staff. And so it's a virtuous cycle. By having the staff, you can actually have more shooters and you can actually have a better experience for those shooters. 
Additionally, any any kind of hiccup that comes up, whether it is something like, um, you know, if you have to stop someone halfway through and reset the stage, then you've got your crew right there to reset it. You're not having to ask competitors who are you know loading their mags or whatever to, to come out and, and paste the, the half shot stage. You've got your crew. And so it takes half the time. If you have an issue where somebody wants to pull a target and put a new one up, your, your crew is there to take care of it. Everything just happens. So obviously for from a match administration standpoint it's more efficient it's also more correct you you completely delete an entire class of reshoot from a prematurely pasted target you have that much more confidence that everything has been reset properly because everybody on your squad has a has a designated role something on on my stage at the north carolina section this past year uh, that that was a, a little bit of a nuance was we had a couple of targets that were right up against a barrel stack and we had to call oof i had to guess let's I'd, I'd ballpark it at 30 maybe 30 shooters had some kind of call where we were judging whether it was a partial or full diameter hit on that barrel stack and that call was 100 based on black spray paint that we put on the blue barrel after every shooter that that nicked it or put a hole through it and so we were able to you know because someone every stage it was clear whose job it was to make sure that that barrel got repainted after every shooter i could always trust as the timer ro or whoever the timer ro was as we as we cycled it around i could always trust that if there was a blue mark on that barrel it was from this shooter because i trusted my crew i knew that it was reset there was never this oh yeah did that just uh was that from the last guy is it from this guy no we we had confidence and so we were able we were able to render better scores more consistently and more quickly there was there was no question there was no looking around and obviously there was no room for cheating so if there, there is there's actually a rule in the rule book about this i don't remember exactly what the penalty is if it's an unsportsmanlike dq or just some procedurals or a zero for the stage or something but there is there is a rule in the rule book about if you think a competitor prematurely pasted a target to give another competitor an advantage you can you can come down on that guy the nice thing is the and we briefed this during during our walkthrough the only people that should be in the shooting area after the range is called clear were the shooter that just finished and the on-deck shooter. And other than that, nobody was even supposed to be forward of the shooting area, anywhere near any targets or anything like that. And just as a double check, so in that, that system that I just talked about where, you know, assuming you can you can score this, your, your stage, let's say right to left or left to right, you have some kind of start and end place. Well, you're going to have somebody at the start position, you know, where you start scoring, that's going to be pasting behind the timer and the tablet RO as they go around pasting. So they're going to, you know, let's say you're pasting right to left around the, the back of this stage or, or, or what have you. So the, the person with the paster gun is going to start at the right side and go towards the middle and the tablet and the timer RO are going to go all the way around. And when they get to the left side, the tablet RO is going to go up range, get the shooter's signature, and the timer RO is going to turn around and start pasting from the left side, and they're going to meet in the middle. And so obviously, if at any point you see a competitor, you you know they're not supposed to be there, and you can stop them from getting to the target because you're you're right there. You're they're they're going to have to come past you to get to any of these targets. And you know, especially if the staff are all wearing some kind of you know matching shirt, which we were then it's pretty easy to see out of the corner of your eye if there's anybody standing anywhere near a target that isn't there where they don't belong. So the the, the whole class of cheating issue completely goes away with the system. And these are all just the just the the perspective from staff and from the match. So, you know, for me, as someone CROing a stage, 
I, I want this because it just, it works so much easier. There's, there's just so much more efficiency, so much less. I don't have to hassle people. I don't have to cajole the people on the squad, you know, where, cause if, if you are, if you're asking competitors to paste, it's a race to the bottom. It's how little can you get away with in order to, you know, not be seen as totally shirking your, your job and, you know, a total jerk to your squad. But at the same time, you want to sit and visualize and rest and, you know, drink some water and eat some peanuts or whatever you you're, you're doing between stages. You don't want to be Mr. Eager running down range, getting paint on your hands. If you're the one, you know, pasting, uh, painting the, the steel, nobody as a competitor, you should not be dealing with that while it's, while it's your time. But as a, as a CRO, as, as a staff member, I don't want to have to be cajoling them. And so it just, it just completely deletes that whole hassle. Uh, so it's, it's a better, the scores are more correct. It's more efficient. You can get more shooters through and it's just more pleasant for the staff. And all of that is leaving aside the fact that as a competitor, it's just better. You, you get to focus on shooting your game. You get to focus on not having to worry about, you know, oh, pasting and resetting and getting paint on your hands. If you're the guy, you know, setting the, the steel, your job is to be ready when your name is called, step up, shoot. You've got time to clean mags, sit down, drink water. You're, you're paying to be here. You're certainly more than a, than, you know, a normal match fee, right? You, you've paid to come here. You've driven some distance. You're probably staying in a hotel or you got up at the crack of dawn to drive. Either way, you've committed resources, committed time to be here. And so this is your time in, you know, for a lot of folks, their state match might be the, the biggest match they shoot all year. And so they should be given the privilege of performing at their very best and, and not be asked to paste a couple targets when that's easily done by the staff. So why doesn't every match do this? Honestly, at the end of the day, it, it requires more work to cultivate good staff and to keep them happy. Um, you, you have to treat your staff well, and we'll talk about the staff package in a second, but you also have to recruit them. You have to have a good base of local shooters who are willing to work and contribute to the sport and actually want to be a part of this and, and feel valued and, and feel like you actually take care of them. Uh, as an example, the, so the North Carolina staff package was everybody got $150 cash stipend for travel and hotel. And that was, I, I believe, roughly meant to be broken up. Basically, assuming you were working uh, staff set up on Thursday, shooting staff day on Friday, working Saturday, and then you would drive home Sunday night. So that's Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. So that's roughly $50 a night for a hotel. And so that's either, you know, you splitting a room with somebody or something like that. So roughly $50 a day. And then if you're coming from more than, I believe the cutoff was 50 miles away, you got an extra $100 for gas and extra time, you know, on the road coming and going. And so the idea was you're at least not out of pocket for the money that you're paying just to stay in a hotel, assuming that you don't live, you know, 20, 30 minutes away from the range. If you do and you're able to stay in your own bed at night, great, more power to you. You know, it's just a little extra spending money or, or, or whatever you want, but it's just a little bit of money that helps to defray the cost. So at least the staff that are working for you aren't paying out of pocket, aren't, aren't going in the red just to even show up. Obviously, you get your match fee comped as well as the customary match shirt. And usually, though, you know, we like to do something that is a, a little bit extra, you know, a hat or a, a cup or something. This year it was it was mugs, little tumblers um, that I think turned out quite nicely. They have the logo and the year and everything. So it's, you know, it's something potentially useful that that's, uh, you know, not everybody has one of. Uh, 
Uh, and then the uh, the other element, and this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but it's going it is boxed lunches for the ROs. So first off, just I mean, just having good food. I, I'm I, I want to speak very directly to all you match directors out there. You are not necessarily going to believe me, but your ROs, the way to their heart is through their stomach. A good RO lunch, just, I, I don't know what it is. People just appreciate it. It makes people feel taken care of. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You know, this year it was, uh, it was like deli, like McAllister's deli sandwiches, but you got the sandwich, you got the bag of chips, you got the cookie, you got the, you know, it was, it was a, it was a nice little spread. It wasn't just, oh, you know, here's a PB and J and some Saran wrap. You know, it was, it was a decent boxed meal, but it was, people could have a little bit of choice. It was like, you know, when, when uh, Steph would come around with the card, it would be, you know, you want ham, turkey or roast beef. And there were a couple for the, the folks that did have some kind of special dietary need. You know, when you're ordering a bunch of box lunches, you just put that in the order. And most of these places know to, you know, you can say, Oh, you know, Jimmy wants the vegetarian or whatever. And they'll, they'll mark that box. It'll say vegetarian and it'll say Jimmy's name on it. And, and so as the, as the match director, you can just make sure Jimmy gets his, his vegetarian lunch. So you can accommodate people with, with, uh, with dietary, you know, whatever restrictions. And again, would you want to be dealing with that hassle for two, 300 paid shooters? Probably not. But what we're, what are we talking about? Let's say you've got nine stages, an average of, of four staff. Some are going to be three, some are going to be five, but, but let's say an average of, of four staff per stage for nine stages, that's 36 people. It's not you know, this is not unmanageable. And like I said, there's just something about having a good lunch that makes you feel taken care of as a, as, as a, as a member of the staff. Also just logistically having a box lunch means it's not getting flies on it. If you take your time eating it as, as staff, basically your only time to eat and your only time to rest. And this is another reason that five minute walkthroughs are good for everybody is during the five minute walkthrough unless you've got a bunch of downtime between squads which if your match is full which it will be if it's good if your match is full your staff doesn't have a ton of downtime and so they're probably going to be they, it might be two or three squads before they can actually fully eat their lunch but in those in those five minute breaks they can eat the sub and maybe leave the chips or you know whatever it is but it's not like it's a plate of barbecue it's getting flies or getting cold or getting warmer you know whatever it is everything's already individually wrapped up and so you can just kind of graze on it as you have time as you're hungry you know as staff and it may be that you know you, you might not be hungry right when lunch happens so you just set your box to the side and you eat it a couple squads later but it just it works I know it sounds crazy. It's such a simple thing, but it makes a big difference for the staff, both to feel taken care of and just to not be worrying about, you know, whatever it is, getting flies or getting cold. So you've got all that. You've got the the stipend, 150 if you're within 50 miles, 250 if you're more than that. You've got the group rate at the hotel, pretty standard. You know, that's open to competitors as well. But, you know, you can get a little bit cheaper fare if you if you can find it. Uh, so you got the group rate of the hotel, you've got your staff shirt, your staff gift, the lunch for the RO, and the the one one of the other things that that the section match does is make sure the 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 staff get a fair shake at the prize table. And so generally, you know, the last two years, the way that's worked is staff day is given a fair divvy of all the prizes. If there are eight nice range bags, two of them go on the prize table for Friday for the staff when they shoot. Two of them go Saturday a.m., two of them go Saturday p.m., and two of them go Sunday. 
so that it's not like the I, I've heard <laughs> I've heard stories about matches where the staff you know they get to pick over whatever's left on the prize table that's that's their prize no no it's not how it works staff are as much especially at a match like this where the staff are shooting they have their own dedicated day everybody gets a fair shake at at shooting it they they get to walk the prize table just like competitors and that's i mean that's all it takes and again we're only talking about let's say four times the number of stages that you've got so it's not it's not you know when you say not having competitors paced people are imagining you know legions of boy scouts or or whatever that you have to recruit to to run this match it's not that bad if if you take care of your folks you put the word out people will be will want to work for you it'll and they'll they'll feel appreciated they'll feel proud right when you even if you are not running the timer or the tablet even if you're not a certified ro just being a part of a well-oiled machine being a part of a crew that runs a stage like grease lightning that's a good feeling. You you feel proud. You feel like you both got to shoot. You got to be a part of the match. And you also are a part of, of something that is providing a really world-class experience for everybody else. And this can all be done at, at, at any level too. There is, there is no reason whatsoever that every match doesn't run this way. I, I think it is absolutely beyond belief that competitors paste and reset at nationals. It, it's ridiculous. We I mean, we can do this at, at our state match. What what the heck is the problem? What I mean, it, it comes down to what I just said. It's it's staff recruitment. The the staff packages for nationals are just bad. Now, I will say this year they they went back and for the first time since 2014, this year's nationals, I believe, are having a, a two-day staff match. So the, the public are shooting the, the match over three days, the staff are shooting it over two days, which is which is fair. It's a little bit compressed, but it's still you're not you're not trying to rush through, you know, 22 stages in one day. Uh, so the, the staff package is getting better. I think they're realizing that that's part of the issue is when staff keep getting shafted, you keep getting low quality staff, which is honestly one of the reasons that I'm not going to nationals this year. Low quality staff, low quality stages, and just generally the, the match just is not high quality. It is not the best match of the year. And so I don't see the reason to to expend the most resources to go to this match just because it it has this title on it. I want to shoot quality matches and I want to be a part of creating those where they don't exist. And I, I think the North Carolina state match was, was about the best we could make it this year. And you know, every year we'll, we'll keep trying to improve it, but it just, it is, it's absurd to me. If we at a local state match can make it so that competitors don't have to paste and reset in what universe does it make sense that you fly to nationals and you're on a squad with everybody else who's flown there, shipped ammo, staying in a hotel, rented a car, done all this stuff, and and they can't get staff to work it. I mean, I, so I've got another podcast about this, about how to solve this problem. In in I've got some ideas about how to solve this, you know, so, some more specific solutions. But that that's why I wanted to, to talk about this, is as you go into this weekend, as you go to Nationals in Frostproof this year, just think to yourself, why, why? are the competitors pacing and resetting how much opportunity for cheating is there how much inefficiency is there in the stages running slower not being pasted efficiently uh, maybe a target gets missed and somebody has to get a reshoot i mean all of these all of these issues just go away when you have three or four depending on the size of the stage maybe five three to five people including the tablet and timer ro working the stage maybe you gotta shell out some money for some paster guns maybe you go to a hardware store and you spend five bucks on some can guns it's not rocket science 
we're able to do this at a local level. Uh, the Georgia State match just did it, and and it works fine. It is it is very doable, and it's utterly ridiculous that that it's not done at nationals. And one last thing that I'll mention as well uh, that worked really well last year and wor- would have worked well this year if Chrono had stayed in the match is just pulling bullets from competitors' magazines for Chrono. Last year, it was it was a stage that I was on was was the last stage, and so. As shooters were going down range, someone would one of the one of the people who were not the tablet or the timer RO, so not the folks watching for you know enforcing the rules of the safety. Someone would pick up a mag that the shooter had had left on the ground as a part of the stage and start pulling rounds out of it. If there weren't enough, or if it was say a, a PCC shooter where they didn't end up reloading during the stage, then we would just ask them while we were taking them around and letting them see their targets, you know, from that mag right there, the one I see in your hand that you just took out of the gun, give me eight rounds. And we put it in a Ziploc bag. It would go with the squad to Chrono. And then that's what would be used for Chronoing. Now is, you know, I've talked about this before on the podcast. Do I think a lot of people are deliberately cheating at matches? No. Do I think if somebody did want to deliberately cheat, it would be exceedingly easy to have a magazine of Chrono ammo that they use when they step up to Chrono? Yes. And so I don't know why when it doesn't take any more work that that matches don't do, especially matches like nationals, don't just put in a little bit more effort to not not be suspicious, not be paranoid, but just treat competitors with healthy respect and say, I don't think you're cheating. But just in case, let's do this in a way that you trust the system is going to catch other competitors if they're cheating. That, that was the thing that really stood out to me last year were the competitors and some of them high level who came up to me and said, as, as you know, I was the CRO on the stage where we were pulling those bullets and they told me, this is the way it should be done. Thank you. I want, I know I'm not cheating, but now I know nobody else is either. I have faith in this match. I have trust because you are, you are going through this exercise. I don't think that you're, you know, we're not accusing every shooter of cheating, but they just have that much more confidence that everybody else is honest too. And so it, it just boggles my mind that, again, we can do this at a state match. Why is this not being done at nationals? It's, it's just, it boggles the mind. Like I said, as it happened, because Chrono was backing up this year uh, at the state match, it did end up getting tossed just due to some, some technical difficulties and, and various issues. But that was also just one of those things where rather than trying to let it back up or try and push people through, I think the right call was made at the match to, to pull it. And now I, I would expect Chrono to be back next year. I would expect it to be running at full efficiency. So, you know, don't think that this is going to happen next year. But I think a lot of the a lot of the value of Chrono is actually deterrent value. It's people having faith or fear, depending on how you want to look at it, that Chrono and Equipment Check are going to be run tightly and rigidly. And if if anything, the signal that was sent last year with the way that we pulled bullets out of competitors' mags and we actually, you know, were, were more diligent than the average level two match about it, even though we didn't actually have to chrono that many people this year, or we weren't able to chrono that many people this year, I still think the deterrent effect, I don't think we would have caught anybody because the message was out there that North Carolina is a match that takes these things seriously. Again, why doesn't nationals do this? It's a good question. As, as you go around, you, you be the judge, you tell me, you know, is it, is it lack of staff? Is it lack of interest, lack of motivation? I, I don't know, but the, the fact that last year, so last year we were actually lucky that 
I don't remember if we were the week before. I think we were the week after for some reason. I think we were the week after High Cap National, something like that. Either way, we were juxtaposed very closely on the schedule, and we had a number of people compliment us and say this match was better run than Nationals, and that's high praise. And I, what just boggles my mind is the fact that it is not rocket science. It can be done. It just requires you to take care of your staff, to care, to put in the time ahead of time, and to really want to make a, a good experience for the for the competitors, not just, oh, okay, it's a national championship. We got to do this. You know, uh, We'll be in dereliction of duty if we don't. Like there actually has to be some passion behind it. But if you, if you do that, you apply, you know, these things that we've talked about here and just a little bit more common sense, you can run a great level two. And I think there are a lot of great level twos. I think there are a lot of great area matches out there. And I just, I don't see that level of effort being put into nationals and, and it's a shame. It really is. I, I hope it changes, but I, that's not in my power. All I can do as someone who's a member of the North Carolina community is give my input, give my work and and toil to try and make the the state match the best that it can be and again hopefully those of you listening to this that that got to shoot it you know it was a good experience for you it was worth however far you traveled for it Uh, those of you who didn't get to put it on your calendar it'll be back at rowan next year it'll be it sounds like it'll probably be the same time of year mid-september you know so so though this club rowan will be hosting area six in the spring and then the state match will be towards the end of the year, end of the season, where major matches should be. Not not early in the year, like they just announced production nationals is gonna be, which is just anyway, that's a that's a different topic for for another time. But hopefully everybody who came and shot the North Carolina match saw that it was a quality experience and saw that you can do a lot at a local level. It, you know, it doesn't take a lot to be better than nationals, and certainly getting involved at your local level take some of these ideas, put them forward, say they worked. If they have any questions, reach out to me personally. I'm happy to talk through these things, give advice and, and contribute however I can, you know, North Carolina, obviously I'm local, so I can, I can have some influence there. But if, if anybody, you know, if there's anything I can do to help my email is podcast at bearshooting.com. Let me know. Well, that wraps up this episode of short course. If you want to reach me, my email is podcast at bearshooting.com. My match videos are up at youtube.com slash benberryuspsa. Talk to you next time.